Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for listening and making a commitment to your learning. We hope everybody is doing really well. Uh, we're your hosts. I am Yvonne Brandenburg. I am joined by Jordan Porter. And the reason I'm not giving hello, her a letter hello. today is we have a guest this week. Okay, everybody. Welcome, Brittany Laughlin, RBT, BTS Neuro. Hey, Brittany. Hey. Hi. Thank you. Hello. <laughs> We're so excited to have a fellow nerd with us. It's great. <laughs> so in right. honor of- Especially uh, a nerd who's nerdier than, than us on neuro. Every internal medicine person says that, that neuro is nerdier than internal medicine. I don't know if I agree. Well, <laughs> I just, well, no, I, I don't, I can't say that you're nerdier than us, like, cause we're pretty- <laughs> freaking nerdy when it comes to the IM diseases. It's just the fact that like neuro, I know nothing. I know what I need to know about. And then <laughs> the moment I can get rid of it, I'm just like, okay, bye. That's what everyone says. Yeah. I, I feel like, I mean, I definitely am not probably as extreme as Jordan as like dump it, but cause I, I think it's interesting. It's just, uh, it's so specific. I mean, I, I find it interesting. Specific. I have an epileptic dog at home that I take care of. Oh, that's true. Yeah. See? yeah, yeah. Um, so in honor of Brittany and neurology this week, her letter is N. So Brittany, <laughs> first you're nice. So it's the nice and it's the nerdy and it's the noteworthy Brittany. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was really funny coming up with these uh, letters and these words because most of the other ones were really mean, like narcissistic and neurotic and all that stuff. And I didn't think you'd appreciate that. So <laughs> we went with those. <laughs> Sounds good. So I guess I think we should probably kind of introduce you first because people may not know who you are. Um, so Brittany, you're obviously you have your RVT, you have a VTS in neurology. Who the heck are you, girl? <laughs> uh, that's always a, a kind of an awkward question for me, I guess. Uh, <laughs> all right. In relationship to being a veterinary technician, how's that? <laughs> uh, well, uh, I've been a technician for almost 10 years. It'll be 10 years uh, kind of at the end of the year and have been in the vet field for probably more like 12 or 13 and um, have been working in neurology basically for most of that, almost nine years in a neurology practice. Wow. And um, I just really like it. <laughs> I um, had been meaning to do my VTS for quite a while, but um, things like child right habit having and things like that got in the way the crazy right. life stuff right when did when did you test did you test with me and I just don't know it uh 2019 in Phoenix you did test with me I'm oh. sorry oh. See, we were in the that. same room oh it was an intense room yeah. dude you're telling me I was like the second or third person to walk out and I was like oh 
Is that the wrong decision? <laughs> I think I was the first, there was three of us in neuro. I think I was, I think if I remember right, I was the first one to get out of there. Maybe not. I don't remember. Oh my <laughs> and there's a lot of things I don't remember about that day. Right. Yeah. No, I was the second I am tech to walk out. And so I met one of the other girls downstairs because we had like formed a study group and like yeah. planned to meet up in Phoenix. So we studied like what we got there probably all Sunday. So we studied Sunday until Tuesday, just yeah. all together at a Starbucks. We were so dedicated. We were, <laughs> they they had a crazy nerdy. group. They had yeah, a crazy had, group. I had none of that. And it's I funny. literally was like my flight and that is it. There's nothing happening <laughs> until I take the test. Like no, no, no. We, got- we we legit like we talked and studied with each other basically the whole year from the moment we found out we were accepted until we tested and we still talk. Yeah, like, we did too. The um my test testmates and I um kind of, which uh, if people aren't really very familiar, neuro doesn't frequently have multiple test takers. No, (laughs) it's often usually one, maybe two a year. So (laughs) the fact that there was three of us was kind of a big year. And so we kind of set out and had like a study plan and, you know, did Skype meetings every week and make sure we're all on the same page and stuff. And then we all ended up passing. So it was a good year for neuro in 2020. That's awesome. I think everybody who was in my study group ended up passing, but what, there was nine, one person was not in our study group. Um, and I don't think they ended up passing, Yeah, but everybody who's so in the what they're saying passed. is the importance of study groups, Listen, <laughs> having other people like, cause one of the big things oh, that yeah. we did that I felt like helped us is that we set out for all of us to write like we we were like we're going to study this stuff this week or whatever and then we had to write like three or four questions so we had like a shared document that we all wrote questions down in and so then in our like Skype meetings we would like go through the questions so you'd be surprised how many things like somebody else would be like here's a question for you and you're like shoot I mm, I don't yeah. know that. and then wow. it points out what you don't know and a hundred percent there were definitely questions that we asked each other that ended up on the on the test too because nice. we were all like oh did you see that that question was on there good thing we asked each other you know so yeah, that's awesome. what we did too study we- study groups are an amazing asset if you can for sure if, yeah because laura yeah. and i ended up like the day before the test her and i stayed at starbucks probably the longest so for a while it was just her and i and we were just bouncing questions off of each other mm-hmm. and i remember her and i talking about like oncology questions we were talking about chemotherapy and i was like i didn't know any of this because i don't do any oncology mm-hmm. i diagnose yeah. cancer and then it transfers right. um <laughs> i don't diagnose obviously my doctor diagnoses and then- sure but like Laura and I, she ended up giving me some like pointers about like side effects of certain chemo medications. And it was on the test. And I was like, what? I was like, thank you, Laura. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And now they're great, nerdy knew and, that we're and moving up Phoenix in the world. together. Yeah. I, I thought I your name like looked really familiar, but again, like I wasn't really, I wasn't super focused yeah. on anybody else in that yeah. building. If only we had known. Yeah. <laughs> where life would take us this is just another one of those like small world vet field right situations <laughs> you never know who's in the same room as you right. yeah exactly <laughs> well and so we met a year ago ish it's yeah it's like a year and a half dude because this year yeah. acbim so, you guys were remember. supposed to get pinned so we did it virtually right and i'm really sad because i really i i think acbm is not happening next year no they sent that email out yeah <laughs> like yesterday or something i know yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm super super bummed that ACBM is going to be virtual next year as well. What well, I mean, 
Ugh, I totally get it. You know, COVID is on the uptick and a huge conference, a huge international conference sounds like a really bad idea, but dang it. I wanted to yeah. see you guys in person so bad. Like I love seeing all the internal medicine and that includes all of us, right? So small animal internal medicine, large animal internal medicine, neuro, cardio, and onco. I love seeing everybody all together and nerding out together. <laughs> we won't be able to do it again next year. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's one of the, I'm sure probably a fair amount of people can really, I'm not the most people of people persons, um, but that is probably one of the bigger letdowns of this whole COVID situation is like, as much as I am definitely a homebody, it is a bummer to not be able to go to conferences and catch up with people and stuff. Well, especially too, when you have such a good like relationship with your study buddies for the VTS yeah. stuff, like that's what we were looking forward to. I was looking forward to seeing all my SAIM, SAIM like friends who tested well, with me. And I think it's because I think everybody <laughs> goes to a conference, like especially ACIM, right? Like ACIM is not the party conference. <laughs> it is the nerdy <laughs> conference so you know everybody that's going is super nerdy but we have fun being nerdy together and it's just I don't know have you been to a surgery <sighs> conference no. no but that's I did want to go to one actually no. oh because you think neuro ACBM is yeah neuro stuff shows up in the in the surgery yeah. conferences and stuff too but yeah I've been to a one surgery conference and was like wow this is even like more buttoned up than ACM ending out as possible. So now I feel like ACM is a party. <laughs> you need to go to VMX then. VMX. Oh, I know I haven't I haven't been to it's in the future plans that are now future future plans. Oh. Yeah it is a bummer because I think 2021 for VMX is also virtual, virtual this year, which is a bummer. I love VMX too. Like I love it. That is, that is hashtag goals. Like I want to go to more conferences <laughs> and Jordan and I were talking about it. Cause you know, we want to kind of ramp up our presence and, and Same. Like, conferences would be great, but I can't go because they're Same. all canceled. So, <laughs> so I have like, you know, I do a fair amount of teaching uh, at the university and stuff. And so I've wanted to do more, you know, like lecture speaking and things like that. But I always had the, that, uh, what you call it, like imposter syndrome type thing where I was like, I yeah. can't be the one to talk about neuro stuff because I don't have, I'm not a specialist or whatever. And so that was always mm -hmm. my thing. It's like, I'm going to get my specialty and then I can like put my Feel name in the confident. hat to do conferences and then I literally you know within six months of getting my PTS I was like well there aren't any conferences anymore like, yeah oh, that's how God. it was for me too because I was like I'm gonna get my BTS I'm gonna publish an article and I'm gonna lecture and like I was yeah. supposed to lecture at ACBIM this year I had two lectures like scheduled yeah. and then I was like dang it yeah, yeah. so I'm super bummed but you know whatever we made our own platform and now we have Brittany on it for a whole series. Right. I know exactly. This is actually super fun because <laughs> Jordan and I do not have our neuro VTS. And so we reached <laughs> nope. out to Brittany and was like, Hey, Hey, you want to be on the podcast? And she said, yes, guys. <laughs> so we I have, you get it for a whole, what, six weeks. Is it is six weeks? Either? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> Brittany's going like, to be Wait. five or six, probably. 
Yeah, okay. I think I, I can't remember what we ended up with, but it, but the oh. neurology section is six weeks. <laughs> Brittany may be on all of them or just this one if she decides she never wants to hang out with us again. So hopefully not, because then that means Jordan and I have to come up with notes for neuro, and that sounds <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> but we're gonna start um, this this series on neurology. We're doing the neuro basics this episode. So when the nervous system just ain't right. Because, <laughs> you know, we got to put that ADR in here. Um, <laughs> and just a reminder that uh, this is so for the podcast, if you go to internal medicine for vet membership.com, if you go to the podcast course, it is approved for one hour of uh, race approved CE. Uh, and so if you take the quiz on there, you get your certificate, you can count that. Um, if you're not a member, you can still use this obviously for self-study, studying for, for college classes, if that's what you're doing, which neuro probably, you know, it's one of those areas it's, it's very intense and, and crazy. So definitely you can use this for self-study too. All right. Are you guys ready for this? I think we're just going to dive into neurobasics. Brittany's going to take it away. (laughs) We typically will start with some anatomy and physiology and um, Brittany gave us some really cool references and we'll have those in the show notes as well. Um, One, I think it looks like it's from Berkeley. (laughs) She's like, here's a Berkeley course. (laughs) Yeah. Those two are a couple like human ones that are just kind of a simple explanation of kind of how the nervous system is organized, which I think just kind of helps people like wrap their heads around it a little bit. Nice. Okay. Yeah. We love website references because I don't know. I feel like they're more visual sometimes than books. Yeah. Um, Cool. All right. Ready to jump in? Ready for some nervous system? I feel like I'm going to learn as well. (laughs) Hopefully. hopefully. (laughs) So so we're going to start with anatomy and physiology. And I know that this can get really heavy and, uh, uh, you know, maybe a little bit confusing. So I try really hard to um, simplify it as best I can to try to help help make sense of it. And it's the same sort of thing I do with my students. Sometimes that might end up being a little bit of an oversimplification. Um, but for the sake of trying to learn a foundation, I think it's really helpful. So, um, so basically if we're talking about the nervous system, if you don't know already, it's actually really amazing and really fascinating. And, um, so when we're, Talking about the nervous system in general, um, basically what's happening is that you're taking in information from your environment, whether that's external or internal, because you don't really think about that either, right? You Mm. know what your stomach feels like right now. And then you make adjustments or respond to those feelings or experiences kind of as needed. And so your your nervous system's constantly doing this in this endless cycle of incoming information, processing that information, and then having an outgoing kind of reaction to it. So one of the examples I use a lot is that, so, you know, dogs are very smart and they like to learn tricks and things. So if you point your finger at your dog and say, bang, your dog has seen you make this hand gesture and heard you make a noise. And they have learned that when you do those things together, if they fall over, then they get a treat, right? So they've learned to play dead. So they get that information in process. This is the thing I'm supposed to do if I want to get a treat. And so then they do it. That's the output of it. Nice. 
which hopefully <laughs> that totally makes, makes sense. Yeah. Makes cause, sense. cause you've got visual, you've got auditory, you've got mm-hmm. the treats, which is sensory, right? right? Yeah. Taste I mean, even that stuff. in of itself. Yeah. Right. The, you know, what tastes good. If I think about chocolate chip cookies right now, I'm like, man, that sounds amazing. Cause I've learned <laughs> that that tastes good. So then I react by going and putting a cookie in my mouth. <laughs> what? No, we don't do that. <laughs> what a great, I'm glad that you are like on board with like how we come up with analogies for things. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, and that's what, explain it that way. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we, you know, it's the nervous system for us is basically the same as the nervous system for, for uh, all mammals. So it's very similar. We just don't have the, the, ability to ask the dog like are you hungry well we can they usually respond I guess my I was gonna say my dog used to respond really well to that so (laughs) (laughs) she's like yes I'm starving (laughs) Um, because you never feed me (laughs) yeah yeah and so and then the other thing that's kind of cool too is that there's a lot a lot of that kind of constant incoming information gets your brain's really good at deciding what's important information to to recognize and take note of and to have a response to. So it can like put things in the trash bin that doesn't really matter until it does start to matter, right? So another thing I tell my students all the time is you don't realize it, but you know exactly where your right foot is right now. And now that I've mentioned it, you're like, yep, there it is. (laughs) And then now that I've mentioned it and your brain is like, thinking about it now you can be think about like oh actually it is a little uncomfortable I'm gonna move it or I'm gonna cross my legs the other way or whatever and so you've been ignoring your brain has been ignoring that information until it was brought to your attention and then you made an adjustment because of that so this is like the constant thing that's happening all day every day even at night Um, and that's part of why the nervous system is super cool (laughs) that is crazy (laughs) the other thing too and this is a uh, one of the things that always gets me, like, gives me a little bit of the, like, heebie-jeebies, when you really start to, to stop and think about it, your brain is just a mass of cells that transmits electricity, and so every thought that you have is just a bunch of electricity kind of bouncing around some cells, <laughs> and even me talking about how the brain works is my brain sending electricity around, forming sentences to talk about itself. <laughs> and it's super weird when you think about it like that, but <sighs> it's, just like, it's just electric. Like It's just electricity and some, so you know, insert the song. Like it's electric. <laughs> <our transmitter. laughs> oh my God. And is that fair use now? now? Is that, to, is that common use now? Can you use that? <laughs> I think uh, it's such a small snippet. I think we're good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't actually play the music. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, to kind of jump in. So one of the, there's part of what makes neuro complicated is there's like 700 different ways to kind of divide things out <laughs> and organize it and whatever. And so trying to keep that organization simple is kind of my goal. So the nervous system largely gets divided into whether it's the central nervous system or the peripheral nervous system. And the central nervous system just means we're talking about the brain and the spinal cord together. Anything that's not the brain and the spinal cord is part of the peripheral nervous system. Okay. So in the central nervous system, there's basically three major parts of the brain. There's the forebrain, which is the part that you think about when you think about a brain. It's the big, wrinkly, kind of ugly part of it, <laughs> yes. uh, the, the large part of it. And so this is 
um, kind of the higher function center. So it processes all that inf information and then creates those responses to be carried out by the rest of the body. And so anything that's, that would be considered a higher level function, so things like learning and behavior and emotions and memory, um, uh, processing speech or you know, uh, sensations in the body and things like that, all is gonna happen in the forebrain. Our four brains are like exploding right now. Listening to you is just what's happening. It's like it's so lit up right now. <laughs> it's just electricity right now, just yes. like just firing just like so much fire, fireworks inside your head. Yeah, exactly. Just taking it all in. There is a really good. I don't know. That just reminded me too. There's a really good video that I show my students all the time too. If you look up on like YouTube, like neurons firing in a zebrafish brain. There's a really cool video where scientists took these little tiny zebrafish and I think they injected them with something or something and put them on a microscope and it shows the electricity like coming oh my through God. the brain. We're going to have to like, we're going to have to put a link to that. Yeah. It's super, brain. It's, it's super cool because it does that. It's, you know, there's a little bit of sparkly neurons firing and then the fish moves and you can see the whole brain like with all wow. this extra activity and stuff. It's really cool. We're such nerds that we're like, ooh. <laughs> Fascinating. I mean, um, I reference like the magic school bus very frequently. So like the fact that you have an actual like scientific It is like actual, I don't remember where it was done. I think it was at university somewhere, but I can't remember where. Off That's really cool. Yeah. As a, as a secondary side note, my son is currently like super getting into magic school bus books and we read those at night. So it's very exciting. To Couldn't me. be more proud, right? <laughs> like the moment your kids are like, yes, science. <laughs> oh my God, that's awesome. <laughs> he's always been like, we always joke about how he's going to be like an engineer or something. He's always been very like, he's mm -hmm. seven, but he is like super good at math. Like he picks up on math yeah. concepts really quickly. And then his big thing has always been for like years already uh, building, like he will build all kinds of little things out of Legos and whatever. Yeah. That's so currently like. what my kids are doing is playing Legos right now. Like, <laughs> I love Legos. Oh my God. Such good. Just. We have God. so many. It helps like, like it, it really helps brains. I'm sorry. It does. It does. It's so good. It does. For a variety of reasons. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Not so great just, on feet, but you know. It just makes those like fireworks go off every time yeah. you build Legos. Yep. Yeah. It's true. Um, okay, so uh, um, so the four, that's the four brains. So then the second kind of part uh, that we can uh, talk about, the second part we can talk about is the, um, the cerebellum. And so this sometimes gets called a little bird brain. It's the tiny little cauliflower thing that's kind of at the base of the skull at the back of the, um, at the back mm -hmm. of the brain. Mm -hmm. And its major functions is really regulating motor movements and playing a role in things like balance and coordination um, and posture. And that includes things like force um, and range of movement. So how you can fluidly pick up your glass and take a drink. You're not like knocking it over every time you try to pick it up or that you can't manage to grab it because it's, you know, you don't know how far away it is and things like that. Yeah. Mm. Um, so it kind of just smooths out all the movements uh, and things that you make so that you uh, have, have smoother function. And then the last bit is kind of a collection of, uh, of structures. So the brainstem is what we would call the midbrain, pons, and medulla are all parts of the brainstem that kind of all come together. Um, and they 
sit kind of underneath the brain and move information from the forebrain down into the spinal cord and vice versa and kind of is like a bridge um, between the, the brain and the rest of the body. Um, one of the big kind of important structures in the brainstem is what we call the reticular formation. So this is a whole bunch of neurons that function together to regulate kind of autonomic functions in the body. And you know, that's like a scary extra term, but um, <laughs> I always tell everybody autonomic just means automatic. So these are functions that do happen without you ever having to think about it. So things like breathing, um, your heart rate, your blood pressure, all those things get regulated in the, in the brainstem and including kind of uh, sleep and wakefulness. Um, so when you go to sleep at night, that's uh, kind of happening because of what's going on in your brainstem. Make sense? Nice. <laughs> this is like, I, I remember learning this stuff and I'm like, all right, okay, okay. Let's, okay. Let's, okay. Let's, I know, let's I'm bring just that like, back just, and like process I'm just it sitting again. back and like, yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> Okay. This is, I remember some of this. <laughs> and this is why we invited a VT as a neuro on <laughs> instead of trying to sound like we know what we're talking about all the time. <laughs> trying, to, trying to talk about, I mean, it's not, it's not the easiest information either. You know, well, it'd be, I, I'd be the same thing as if I, if I tried to talk about like endocrine functions, I'd be like, they happen. <laughs> <laughs> And maybe here's some ways they're supposed to happen. But this like, is, otherwise. Brittany would be like, and this part of the brain. <laughs> <laughs> Technically well, some endocrine malfunctions in the brain. Yeah. Well, so but that's like pituitary though. And pituitary is technically outside of the brain. <laughs> well, technically, Wait, but it's attached. What? No. It's attached, but it's technically outside of the, of the nervous system. Yeah. Do you hear this long <laughs> silence as both Jordan and I are like, Wait, what? What? We it's thought, a gland it's but, a gland outside what the hypothalamus and we talked yeah. about hypothalamus hypothalamus actually plays a part in our yes. endocrine stuff so i'll take it yes that's yes. part of the brain all right for I everybody talk about the hypothalamus this week because i was like i don't i don't want to get into that but <laughs> <laughs> for, for everybody else out there that just got really sad because they thought they knew what the brain was apparently not everything inside your skull is part of the brain dang it not the brain proper. <laughs> I can't, Sorry. I can't, I just, dude, guys, I just learned. <laughs> I mean, You're I knew welcome. they were glands, but I just like, a, it was part of the brain. It, it. <laughs> All right, the brain, the brain exerts the control head. over the <laughs> part of the head and it part is of attached. stuff in your skull, it is but attached it's not to. your brain. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay. I've been doing this a really long time and that just like hurts my head a little bit. I'm like, wait, what? All right. I totally learned. Okay. Anybody else? I'm just going to post it somewhere. I just learned a lot. Dang it. Okay, cool. All right. So not part of the brain. Okay. Um, so the brainstem, if we're going to move on to the rest of the central nervous system. So the brainstem kind of forms a bridge between the brain as a whole and the spinal cord. So the spinal cord is kind of a continuation from the brainstem that then goes down through the vertebral canal. Um, and it just acts like a big information highway between the brain and the body. So all the sensory information that's coming into the body goes into the spinal cord and is either sent up to the brain to be processed or it can be reflected back to a muscle of action like a reflex. 
Um, and sometimes it does both things. So sometimes it'll do, you know, both things at the same time, but um, also the brain is sending information down the spinal cord. So like we talked about earlier, the dog knows that it needs to fall over in order to get a treat. So it sends the information to move its muscles in a way to lay down. Um, and then just worth noting that, because we'll talk about this in the, when we get to peripheral, that there are spinal nerves that come from the spinal cord at each vertebrae and that go down into the body and that move information from the central nervous system out into the periphery to exert whatever action needs exerting. And I know this because I did do a couple of like shifts with the neurologist. And if you guys have ever seen like the paniculus thing, I'm sure Brittany will explain this much better later, but um, where they pinch up along the trunk of the body to figure out where the problem area is. That's why it's because there's these different nerves because it's not just one long nerve. It's like, like little tree branches. So you got to figure out which tree branch is broken. <laughs> um, so that part I get. <laughs> um, and that kind of has to do with uh, a little bit. So just uh, to kind of help later when we talk about some of the um, neuro exam stuff. So we clinically divide the spinal cord into four spinal segments. And these are different than the vertebral segments. So it's not like cervical, thoracic, lumbar, um, it has to do with areas of function and ways that we can test them. So mm. um, we'll, you'll hear sometimes in neuro that we divide the spinal cord up into these segments. So it's um, C1 to C5 is kind of the first segment and then C6 to T2 and then T3 to L3 and then L4 to S3 or kind of wherever, however many sacral or whatever is at the end. So um, most specifically the C6 to T2 is the area of the spinal cord that forms the brachial plexus. And those mm. spinal nerves in the brachial plexus come out and form the nerves that innervate the thoracic limbs. And then in the L4 to S3 segment, it's very similar. That is the lumbosacral plexus. And then those nerves kind of come out to innervate the pelvic limbs and the, and the kind of tail perineal area. All right. All right. I'm picturing this in my head. <laughs> okay. Okay. Makes sense. Um, just a couple other things that I thought to maybe worth mentioning, um, especially for kind of uh, other episodes, maybe down the line, it might be useful to mention it here too, but um, some other structures in the central nervous system that uh, uh, worth knowing about is there are what we call meninges or the meningeal layers. And so this is just a thick multi-layered covering that covers the brain and spinal cord. So it provides some protection, like a physical barrier for the central nervous system. Mm -hmm. And then within the um, meningeal layers is the cerebrospinal fluid or CSF. And that's just the fluid that kind of bathes the central nervous system and provides a little bit of buoyancy. So your brain isn't sitting on your skull um, and some protection, and then also kind of um, flushes some micronutrients and things around um, within the central nervous system. And then usually um, something that we have to kind of keep in the back of our minds with um, some treatments that we need in the central nervous system is this idea of the blood brain barrier. Really, uh, it's the central nervous system blood barrier because it applies to the spinal cord as, as well. It's just easier mm. to say blood brain barrier. Um, so usually in the vascular endo, uh, 
in the, in the vessels, the endothelial cells that make the vessels usually have those little fenestration windows to allow kind of nutrients and electrolytes and all that kind of stuff to flow back and forth between the interstitial areas and the, and the vessels themselves. Um, but in the central nervous system, those endothelial cells don't have any fenestrations. So they're actually really tightly packed together. Mm. And then on top of that, there's another layer of cells um, called astrocytes, which is just a nervous system support cell. And that provides kind of a second barrier around those vessels. And this is good for us because it helps keep the central nervous system from getting things like infections. There's two layers to go through. It's not very easy mm. to permeate. So we can keep the nervous system safe and healthy that way. Um, but the problem comes when we need to get medications into the central nervous system, for example. So things like chemotherapy and things like that uh, is troublesome because we have to overcome that blood brain barrier. Especially if you've got treat the nervous system. I was going to say, especially if you've got something that has managed to get past it. So like if you get an infection, right, you need to make sure whatever drug you're using can get there. Otherwise, otherwise it's pointless. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's not going to do much. And then the the central nervous system, like the the tissues themselves, there's not like a lymphatic system in there to get rid of if there is an infection and things like that. So that's where it becomes really troublesome. And I don't know if you guys remember, it's probably been probably like seven years or eight years or so. It's been a while, but there's like a big to do about in human medicine there was like some contaminated steroids that were being used for spinal injections. Yeah. And so basically people were being treated for their spinal pain with these steroids that were contaminated. So they were getting infection injected into their nervous system. And it was a big deal because it's very hard to treat. I think that is, um, that was the big reason why, um, there was this, this, uh, like, like they really, (laughs) crack down on compounding pharmacies because I think it was a compounded medication Mm. that was not treated appropriately. So that's why compounding pharmacies really had to step up how, you know, they're handling it and creating it. So a lot of compounding pharmacies, I think either went out of business or Mm. they had to really upgrade their stuff. I I remember when that happened because it was kind of a big deal for us in veterinary medicine because all of a sudden some of the pharmacies that we were using, we couldn't use anymore, which was, oh, yeah. which was a bummer. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't even think about that part of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I, I, that was, it, cause I was like, why, what is happening? And I think, I think I was taking a pharmacology class at the time, which is what made me like, look it up. And I was like, Oh, that would be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let's just get an infection injected into place. That's really hard to treat. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> challenging right yes okay so that's kind of all i had for the central nervous system so we can move over and talk about the peripheral nervous system so like i said anything that's not the brain or the spinal cord we can consider the peripheral nervous system um and so really we're talking about nerves kind of extending from the central nervous system to innervate the body or the periphery peripheral nervous system periphery And it seems obvious, but you'd be surprised how many times people are like, oh, (laughs) oh. And Um, and I just need to throw this out there because um, when I first saw the word innervate, I had no idea what it was. I mean, it's been a while, right? But in case this is the first time you're hearing the word innervate, that just means that nerves are going into things. So it's like 
it's it's um providing electricity right innervating (laughs) providing yeah electricity it's like innervate just means nerves are going through it Mm -hmm. fancy term for just (laughs) nerves are going in Um, so for these, we can kind of subdivide this into two anatomic groups. So we have cranial nerves, which a lot of people are pretty familiar with, and then spinal nerves. And so with cranial nerves, a lot of people struggle with this because they're called cranial nerves. So people assume that that means they're just in the head, in this, in the central nervous system, but cranial nerves are peripheral nerves. Mm. They come from the brainstem. They originate in the brainstem, except a couple of them are uh, a little more rostral than that. That, but um, and then they go around into the head and neck and innervate various muscles and structures um, to do things like all your special senses. So things like vision and smell and balance and hearing and blah 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 is all coming from cranial nerves. Well, in your face, it's coming from cranial nerves. And then muscles in the face and neck move um, your head and facial movements. So when you smile, that's your cranial nerves working. Um, and then there is the big big daddy vagus nerve. Uh, which is cranial nerve 10, and that dives down into the body and provides some innervation to the laryngeal structures and then um, thoracic and abdominal viscera as well. And I feel like as technicians, the vagus nerve is probably the biggest one that we remember. Well, that we remember <laughs> and, and that we have to deal with because, um, you know, when we talk about like a vagal response, right? Yes. And so, yeah. For intubation, that's one that we kind of have to think about if a patient vomits and that can stimulate the vagus nerve. Yes. Um, surgery, some some different things in surgery. I think in internal medicine, I think of the vagus nerve because um, when we're doing endoscopy, right, we're, we're getting in there, we can stimulate the vagus nerve and see things for anesthetics. So I think as technicians, that's the biggest one that, that we deal with on a regular basis, I guess, is, is, is the best way to say it, that, that we need to be aware of and really like understand what's, what's happening. So, um, yes. And that's why I thought it was worth mentioning. Cause this is something like you said, as internal medicine and even just text and general practice, just mm-hmm. having a vague awareness that, that, um, that's what that nerve does and how it, you know, innervates the body and why it's important to know something about it. <laughs> do you um do you have a way that you teach your students to like remember these ones because I feel like there's always like those good little like uh-huh anecdotes and things. <laughs> um to be honest this is like a terrible question to ask me because even to my students they get annoyed with me because I I hate mnemonic devices I don't mm. that's not a system that works for me mm. it's to me it's twice as much work right you have to remember the saying to, and then try <laughs> to remember what it means right? you know what I mean so just especially for 12 things like that's a lot if it's just like a three word or three letter acronym that might be different but yeah so I uh, they, they exist there's many mnemonic devices right. out there that exist but off the top of my head I couldn't even tell you <laughs> no <laughs> it's fine don't. and I think that's part of the problem is that there are 12 of them and and as technicians in school like you had to learn all of them and you're yeah, like I don't a lot. I've never even heard of them before yeah um yeah and I think it's funny because I think uh when I was teaching someone had done um a Lady Gaga song to this god I wish I could find it I'll see if I can find it because um because I think it was poker face is what it was so I'll have to I'll have to see if I can find it but yeah I I think that's 
that's always the hardest is to remember nerves and like what they do and where they're located and all that, all that fun business. And that's, that's what I tell my students is like, that's fine if that helps you try to remember it for the test and whatever, but what's really going to help you longer term is to just study the nerve itself and what it does. Because if you understand what each nerve is doing, then it makes it a lot easier to figure out, you know, if you have a question on a test or something that's Mm -hmm. like, testing the palpebral reflex. What nerves is that? Well, if you know cranial nerve five is sensation to the face and cranial nerve seven does facial expressions and blinking, well, then I already know the answer because I know what the function is. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. It seems like a lot. I know it seems like <laughs> a lot to ask for people, but well, and I to think me, that's... that's what helps me the most is just getting really good at knowing which nerves do what, because then you can break extrapolate from the area. Well, and I think that's a really good point too, when you're learning anything, especially stuff that this is, it really is foreign for most people like this stuff, um, is knowing it for like, just like knowing like labels versus knowing and understanding. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's probably why we're all such nerds (laughs) because we all want to like break it down and understand it. And, and, and it makes it, like we, we kind of talked about this a few minutes before we were recording is Jordan. I love these basic episodes because yes, we learned it for school, but like learning and understanding, we go back to the, some of the basics and we're like, oh, that's why <laughs> right? you're like, oh, that makes much more sense now. Right. That so, thing that I didn't yeah. really get, but memorized now it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 So Hopefully. no matter how long you've been here in this industry. We're always learning. Never stop learning. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Okay. So that was the cranial nerves, which are peripheral nerves. So then the other kind of group that we can classify is then the spinal nerves. So if it's not coming off the brainstem, it's coming off the spine. Um, And there's like something like 30 pairs. It's different for different breeds and things like that. Mm. I mean, people, people is like 31 or 32 dogs is like 36 cats is something. I don't know. 30 something more pairs. (laughs) Um, and so they all come from the spinal cord and they extend down into the body to innervate muscles and organs. Um, in particular, we pay attention to the, the nerves that innervate the limbs and tail because these are the ones that we can test. Like I said, in those C6 to T2 or L4 to S3 spinal segments, those nerves come into the limb. And so we can test the radial nerve or the femoral nerve or the sciatic nerve by doing those reflexes, you know, with the reflex hammer and stuff. Um, and then they also kind of migrate up to innervate the hypaxial muscles and the abdominal muscles, and then also abdominal viscera too. Uh, It's really complicated the way that it's all innervated together. But um, one of the big ones that I didn't really, we didn't really, I think we talked about it in anatomy, um, but it wasn't really made clear to me until I worked in neurology for a while, the importance of the phrenic nerve. Are you guys familiar with the phrenic nerve? <laughs> you know, it's funny. It, I, I did not, I don't think I learned about it in school, but I've definitely heard of it in, in practice. Does that mean I know what the heck it does? No, but I, I know I've heard it. Like I've heard, oh, phrenic nerve. And I'm like, oh, the phrenic nerve. Yeah. Yeah. The mm-hmm. phrenic nerve. <laughs> yeah. You just nod and like agree. Uh-huh. Just so you yeah. like, yeah. feel like yeah. you can be smart. Yeah. That one. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So the phrenic nerve, it innervates the diaphragm and it actually comes off of the spinal cord and like the caudal cervical. So 
C5, 6, 7 area. It comes oh, out so the like spinal from cord. your neck. Mm-hmm. Through your down, down thoracic. into your thoracic cavity and down to your diaphragm to innervate it to help, you know, pull air into your lungs and breathe and things like that. And so this is oh. part of why high spinal injuries can, yeah. be, can be potentially deadly because if you lose that function in the diaphragm, you may lose some of the function of just breathing in general, you know. This is why, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. See? So, so, um, this is, this is what Jordan and I do sometimes. So this is what I think of. I think of mm-hmm. Christopher Reeves, who was Superman and he fell mm-hmm. off the horse mm-hmm. and he had that horrible, mm-hmm. um, neck injury, which is mm-hmm. why he ended up on the breathing, mm-hmm. which is why people won't talk about like high spinal mm-hmm. injuries. Yes. Well, I guess it's a good thing that it's really high up because could you imagine if it was like in the middle of your back? True. Oh my true. God. That was yeah. so <laughs> right. right. But if you're going to huh. pick a spinal injury, you want a lower spine versus yeah. a high, higher spine. Yeah. Cause that's why, that's why it's a big deal. And yeah. Cause like, like that phrenic nerve, like if it came from close to the diaphragm, that would suck because anytime you, I mean, not that every, any every part down, of your back, but right. every down dachshund would be trouble right they wouldn't be able to breathe oh my god that would suck so it's kind of smart that the phrenic nerve comes from the neck because also for like dogs like what are you gonna do they don't have the kind of technology to assist breathing in dogs (laughs) could you see a little dog in like a little cart with like a little little thing oh oh they don't have lips a little assisted ventilation we do this temporarily, but not long-term. Yeah, correct. <laughs> yeah. Correct. Like I just All picture right, a ventilator, nerve. but short-term, very, very short-term. Right. Yeah. Okay. Huh. Yeah, so, so that's, that's cool. uh, that's why I was like, this is, to me, this is something worth mentioning. Cause I feel like in my career now, this is something that's made a lot more sense of some of the injuries that we see and stuff. So anyway, yeah, so then the other part of the kind of the peripheral nervous system is the neuromuscular junction. So this is just where the nerves and the muscles meet together and neurotransmitters get released into the synapses or the gaps in between them to initiate muscle contraction or relaxation or whatever. That I, I definitely remember neuromuscular junction from school. Like that one actually made sense to me. <laughs> I was like, I get it. <laughs> oh my God. <that's> so funny. <laughs> Perfect. Everybody else's brains like really, really highlighted right now. (laughs) A lot. It's a lot of info. Um, Okay. So why is any of this, why does any of this matter? Which is the question my students ask me all the time. (laughs) Right. Who cares? Because it's really important. Who cares? Yeah. That's the answer. So it's really important. So all of this knowledge of the kind of anatomy and function of the nervous system is what we need to be able to make sense of the neuro exam. And the neuro exam is a really, really important diagnostic tool. So if we can understand what different parts of the nervous system do and what they look like when they aren't working correctly, then we can um, use the neuro exam to figure out what part of the nervous system is a problem. This is what we call neural localization. So we can say when X is happening or not happening, that must be this part of the nervous system that's affected. And then that's going to 
guide us in what other diagnostics to do, right? So if we can say, mm. yes, this is definitely happening in the brain, then we can focus on doing a brain MRI versus taking some spinal rads instead, or, you know, um, it just helps focus where we're putting our energy and efforts and, uh, that makes pe- sense. people's money. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to say, we always get those people that are sent over for like the CT and I'm like, CT is not a good tool for this. <laughs> like no, needs to be an MRI <laughs> or needs to be a nervous, you know, like there's all sorts of things that, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so then I just wanted to touch kind of quickly on the neuro exam itself. Um, this can get really deep, really fast too. And I didn't, yeah, didn't want to do that. So just kind of loosely talking about what, what we're doing when we do the neuro exam. So the first part is what we call, as a joke, my resident calls it his distance exam. So this is just observing the dog. So watching them or cat or whatever, watching them walk around, looking for signs of lameness or signs of ataxia. If they have any like weird postures, like are they leaning to one side? Do they have a head tilt? Do they have a head turn? Is their mentation appropriate? You know, uh, some of that stuff is going to come with being in practice more, but you get kind of familiar with this, you know, one-year-old lab really shouldn't just be sitting and smiling at me. It should be probably jumping on me and being really obnoxious, you know? So maybe that's not a normal mentation, right? Um, The next part of the exam is proprioceptive testing. So proprioception is just how you know where your body parts are uh, without thinking about it. So this, like I said earlier, you know where your right foot is, even if you aren't thinking about it. This is like um, the one part of neurology that like I can consistently do. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Like I got yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes like, it's, a, it's a tricky part. So mm-hmm. great. Yeah. I'm just like, this dog's knuckling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is where we test. Do you know where your foot, feet, legs are? So we do things like placing or you put their foot upside down and see if they fix it. You can hop them on one foot or wherever. There's like a million different ways to test it. Um, But you're just looking to see, do they know where their limbs are? Um, And then there's the cranial nerve exam. So this is just a kind of a series of tests that we do that evaluates all those cranial nerves and how well they're functioning. So things like PLR and palpebral and menace and doll's eye and all those things get lumped into the cranial nerve exam. And I feel like the cranial nerve exam is one that is pretty common done mm-hmm. like even like in a regular physical exam because like doctors will look with the light or yeah. they just like touch a whisker see if it moves do they blink so I feel like the cranial nerve exam is one that even like general practice does right yeah like, most like, people will do like one. most people will do at least like a handful of them maybe yeah. not a full complete cranial right? nerve but <laughs> but yeah most people will do like a palpebral PLR mm-hmm. type of you know, those kind of simpler to maybe a menace to, you know, mm-hmm. um, cause that kind of covers both things, their visual abilities right. on top of some of the other kind of nervous system components. Um, then we can test reflexes. So now we're testing those segments of the spinal cord with sp- specific peripheral nerves, like the patella reflex or the withdrawal reflex to make sure you know, the nerves in those limbs are working or that part of the spinal cord seems to be working. And that's that I little share a fun fact about myself. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's when we so in high school, I got a really, really, really bad concussion that apparently like oh, in no. the back of my head, I like smashed a nerve. And so I didn't have reflexes on the left side of my body. So when they would do the little hammer, hammer test on my knee, it like wouldn't do anything. <laughs> like, 
Oh, good so crazy. I used to have to get like steroid injections in the back of my head at like I think I was like 14 or 15 at the time. That's Holy crazy. crap. It was awful. And it like caused like muscle loss like in the back of my head. It was really weird. I had this like hole and a bald spot like for years. That's crazy. Yeah, I feel like that uh, probably had more, yeah, more to do with like inflammation in the central nervous system. Yeah. It was crazy. It's still not like a hundred percent, but it's yeah. better. Now my leg twitches a little. <laughs> so, wow. So you have like some permanent nerve damage. Wow. Well, from that. Yeah. yeah. Also from my cat bite, but that's different. That's different. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. It's, but it's like, it doesn't hinder me. It's just only when they do the little knee test thingy. The little, the little hammer. Very good at it. But oh. then again, I trip a lot. <laughs> maybe it's just oh my, my left God, leg like not like <laughs> just like dragging a little I'm like one of those dogs who just Aww, lightly drags my left foot at like 80 to 90 years old she's gonna be like hey guys and like her <laughs> I'm gonna be bedridden before oh <laughs> poor Jordan I know laugh about it now before it becomes sad I mean <laughs> it's yeah <laughs> anyway uh okay so then the last little part of it after we do the reflex as well and i think yvonne mentioned earlier like the the cutaneous trunk i would fit in those reflexes so you pinch their back and those nerves go into the spinal cord and then go up to the nerve that innervates the you know cutaneous trunk eye muscles and causes skin to twitch like all that it's all part of the reflexes um and then uh and then we'll do some spinal palpation, which is exactly what it sounds like. We just squeeze on their back a little bit to see if there's any particular area that hurts. Um, the back dogs. Yeah. And we kind of squeeze on their head too, see if they have a headache. But <laughs> yeah. um, Wait, but yeah. I, have, I have clients ask me all the time, how can you tell if a dog has a headache? If you squeeze their head. <laughs> like legit, well, you just do? squeeze their head? Yeah. Uh, I mean, imagine if you had a headache and somebody squeezed the back of your neck, you'd probably kind of splint a little bit and shrug your shoulders oh. they do the same thing yeah they might even cry they might even cry out too if you kind of squeeze a little bit on their skull so um, so that's okay sorry <laughs> that's like head pain but not we're neck pain. obviously not neuro people we're like wait so yeah so is that headache not neck like how it do you differentiate be, between right. the two it can be a little bit both so we'll get like little tiny toy dogs that have like meningitis or something which we'll mm -hmm. talk about in a few weeks um, and so that inflammation, the meninges cover the brain and the spinal cord. Right. So it can, it's not like outside of the skull, it's like a trap door and nothing comes outside of the skull. You know, if the meninges are mad inside the skull, they maybe are mad outside of it too. You know what I mean? Interesting. So you can get a little bit of neck pain with dogs that have primary brain disease. Interesting. Um, so yeah, so we do the, the neuro exam. We do all those parts of the neuro exam and then using some deductive reasoning, we can figure out which part is affected and then we can figure out what testing we should do next to come up with an actual diagnosis, right? So if we have a dog that has really dull mentation and multiple cranial nerve abnormalities, then we can say, well, this is probably a brainstem problem. So let's focus on doing testing to prove or disprove <laughs> that it's a brainstem problem, you know? Mm. That's how we get from point A to point B. <laughs> I mean, I guess it, it does make sense because it's like you're you're taking all the diagnostics and the evidence and then you're pointing towards something and then, you know, figuring out what more in-depth diagnostic testing yeah. you need to do to prove or disprove. So, I mean, yeah, yeah it, it really is like our internal medicine stuff. <laughs> 
Well, like, you know, the nervous system is the entire body, right? So if you're just like going to chuck every dog into a whole body MRI, then you're going to be doing a heck of a lot of <laughs> MRIing for, you know, when you could just focus on the problem at hand, I guess. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely makes sense. You know? Um, so, okay. So just kind of a loose rundown of some quote unquote common clinical signs for a uh, nervous system disease. So um, first, uh, I started with forebrain disease. So probably the most obvious, most clear cut, simplest one would be seizures. So seizures aren't a disease. They are a clinical sign. <laughs> I love that she says seizures is the most clear cut. And I'm like, what? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> When, you know, every time, so every seizure happens in the forebrain. So if you have a dog that's having seizures, you know that that's, this is a forebrain problem. I guess that's what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah, that does make sense. Yeah. Um, you do have to be a little bit careful with history taking and owner diagnosis type things. Cause you are, you know, we absolutely oh have people that will come in and say my dog had a seizure. And then once you really get them to explain it, you're like, gosh, that doesn't sound like one actually. You're like, actually and that's thinkable. <laughs> right. So many owners will interpret any sort of kind of abnormal behavior or like strange episode as a seizure when yeah. maybe that's not actually what happens. So you just have to, this is where your history taking skills and things like that really come into play. And we'll probably touch more on that. I think it's next week we talk about seizures or next yeah. episode or whatever. Yeah. I was going to say history taking and then videos are amazing. If they yeah, can do absolutely. videos, we love them. And just keep in mind that these dogs might, or animals, I guess I shouldn't just say dogs, <laughs> animals might have an otherwise normal neuro exam, uh, even though they're having seizures or they could have lots of other deficits on their neuro exam too. It could be either way. Um, one of the other kind of forebrain signs that I kind of like, because I feel like it, once you explain it to people, it really makes sense. Um, what I call wandering or compulsive walking. So these dogs, if you think of your forebrain kind of like a GPS um, that tells them where to go and why they're going there, if they lose some of that function, then they maybe decide to go, but they don't really remember where they were headed or why they're going there in the first place. So they do this kind of just aimless wandering. Sometimes mm. it'll look like circling because they'll kind of follow the walls in the room, you know? Um, mm. Sometimes people will complain like my dog doesn't sleep at night anymore because he just walks around the house or whatever. So like all those sorts of things kind of tell me that this is maybe a, a forebrainy type problem. Um, and the kind of uh, included in that is what we call head pressing. Um, and so lots and lots of times owners say my dog has a headache because he's pushing his head up against the refrigerator or the couch or the wall or whatever. Mm -hmm. And really that's just that they've lost that GPS directional guidance and so they get up against a wall and then they don't know what to do about it so they just stay interesting though so seizures are a primary problem in the forebrain yes so my dog who's she's like 16 now and has seizures and they've never gotten any worse they've never gotten they've never changed um but now she wanders at night and drives me nuts <laughs> And because she'll start at like 2 a.m. and just wander until like 6 a.m. Mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. sleep the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Wait, All so that's the, the night stuff. wandering thing? Uh-huh. <laughs> Shut the front door. <laughs> but uh -huh. so that can indicate like a tumor or just like could it like 
Yeah, it's so I that... think of like age related changes, but that's not age related changes. It could be. It absolutely okay, could okay. be. I was like, yeah, wait, I'm so confused now. <laughs> that that brings up a good point because that sometimes is what people get tripped up on too. Is like none of these clinical signs are specific to a cause. Mm, it's just okay. specific to a part of the nervous system. Interesting. So, Interesting. like you okay. said, Jordan, your dog has seizures and does this night wandering. That just tells us this is a forebrain problem. It doesn't say that your dog has a brain tumor. It doesn't say that your dog has meningitis. It doesn't say any of that. That's why we need to do the other testing. It just it's just a clinical sign for what would be some sort of forebrain issue to localize yeah the disease yeah and you can absolutely there's plenty of owners that have like cognitive dysfunction type dogs that are like yeah my dog got lost in the closet you know because they just (laughs) their brain's not totally working and firing on all cylinders so they just get kind of stuck or wander wander i'm learning so much this episode (laughs) i'm gonna learn so much this series i'm gonna be like that's what dolce has (laughs) (laughs) Jordan and invited you on just so she could figure out her dog. No, <laughs> exactly. I'm glad that you get something out of it. Let me see. Ah, <laughs> oh my God. Whatever. I always feel like awesome. everybody's like, okay. this is boring. So no, no. again, it's the, like going back to Hashtag basics nerd. where, right. We're again, very big nerds. It's going back to basics and, and being like, yeah, I know that stuff. Cause I've seen it for years, yeah. but it's like, and like doctors will they'll say something you're like I don't know what you mean by that but okay whereas like when you describe it this way you're like oh shoot <laughs> but you're just like holy moly like I what okay now I understand that those are related and yeah it just it needs just, to be described differently yeah yeah, yeah hey. so was, you know those old boxers that you have in the kennel that you have to have some sort of special catheter thing on it so that it doesn't tangle its lines because it won't lay down <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> the swirly set. It's not the his swivel fault. set for like all those yeah. dogs that just like spin and you're just like, yeah. oh my freaking God, just lay down. We call it a whirly gig. A whirly <laughs> I like gig. That. I like that. Wow. Yeah. I'm learning yeah, it's, not so his, much. it's not his fault. His brain's it's not his working. Foreign bra- it's his forebrain yeah. fault. His brain's not working right. Wow. So yeah, so all those yeah. things, seizures, compulsive wandering, head pressing, um, a lot of times owners will kind of describe their dogs being like disinterested or not really with it or a little bit forgetful. Like maybe their dog used to always like run up to them when they came home and now their dog doesn't like those sorts of things uh, tend to point more to forebrain wow. problems. All right. Um, the next kind of section is uh, actually a collection of things. So the vestibular system is an area that we can localize to, but it's not an anatomic thing like we talked about already. So really what the vestibular system is, is a combination of the inner ear, the vestibular cochlear nerve, the brain stem, and the cerebellum all together that control basically our sense of balance. Um, and so um, it's super fascinating, super in-depth when you really start to read into it about how it controls your eye movements and all that sort of thing. So you're not just constantly dizzy. Um, and so what patients will usually present like is as though they're really dizzy. Um, they might have a head tilt, they might be circling or falling over, having trouble standing up because they you know, just tend to want to fall over. Um, and then uh, they can have some pathologic nystagmus. So basically what I mean by that is like, you know, not a normal nystagmus, which you would want to think that all nystagmus is not normal. And that's that, you know, where your eyes are kind of rapidly moving um, even when you're not, but there is, what we call physiologic nystagmus or like doll's eye. 
um, that you're supposed to have, and that's how your eyes turn when you turn your head. Um, pathologic nystagmus is, you know, if your head's sitting still, your eyes are kind of rapidly moving. And I've had that and it's horrible. It's like I'm, being uh, drunk yeah. without the alcohol. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You just feel really dizzy. You can't focus on yeah. where the horizon is basically to keep yourself upright. And so it's really challenging. I always I had picture one like time... the old goldens that are like, yeah. they're like, I'd call it the alligator roll. Mm-hmm. They're just like, they can't get themselves right. You're like, you just pad them with as many uh-huh. blankets to and pillows. Just... Yeah. So if they find the sweet spot, they can maybe relax a little bit. But if you can imagine, if you yourself are super dizzy and can't get around like you normally would, that'd probably be really stressful. So these dogs are usually quite, quite anxious and stressed out because it's, it's a disconcerting feeling. When I was like in high school, I had like a really bad head cold one time. I don't even, I don't remember why. Maybe I had a sore throat too. I don't know. My mom took me to the doctor and he was like, oh, you had some crap in your ears. So he flushed out one of my ears but not both of them. And I was dizzy for like about half an hour after that because it changed my like sense of hearing and sense of balance just enough that it made me dizzy for a little while and it sucks. (laughs) So feel bad for those dogs. I know they're annoying because they're tangling their lines and stuff, but. (laughs) I have been vestibular for hours before. So dude, I like, every time I see one, I'm like, sorry yeah sorry I get it yeah and like you said without the benefit of alcohol too yeah, exactly. you don't even feel good about it, you're, <laughs> right. so bad about it. you're like I feel really nauseous and I can't right. figure out what I'm doing mm-hmm. okay yeah um some other clinical signs I uh worth mentioning uh would be like just weakness um so often this will be kind of generalized it can be a little bit more focal you can have just like facial weakness or tail weakness or just in the back legs or whatever. Um, But it's worth pointing out that not all generalized weakness is neurogenic. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So just because a dog is having trouble maybe getting up and moving around, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a neurologic thing. And we get, I mean, not all the time, but probably at least a couple times a year, we'll get these, you know, old goldens that come in that are kind of suddenly having trouble getting around and turns out they have like, you know, a hemoabdomen. Oh God. <laughs> right. So like you can be weak for other reasons, not just the nervous system. Right. <laughs> so maybe, you know, just keep that in the back of your head. Um, and the weakness, paint all of them with the same thing, <laughs> right? Just cause it's weird. Doesn't mean it's neuro. Right. <laughs> Aww. Um, you should put that uh, on a t-shirt. <laughs> I, I want to. Yes. <laughs> Um, and then the weakness can be pretty static, although usually it's progressive. So maybe the owners will give you a history like, well, it started out that they had trouble getting up the stairs and now they can't even get into the truck or, you know, things like that. And then they can be episodic too, where maybe they'll have periods of being okay. And then periods of having more trouble and kind of back and forth. Um, also we'll see pretty frequently different versions of ataxia. So ataxia is just, um, kind of incoordination or uh, kind of loss of awareness of where your limbs are, that proprioception again. So there's three different kinds that we kind of classify and that just helps us point in the direction of which part of the nervous system is affected. So the proprioceptive ataxia most people are familiar with and this is um, where they're kind of knuckling over or walking on the tops of their feet, maybe they're crossing their limbs over, they're kind of tripping on their legs, things like that. There's vestibular ataxia where they tend to have uh, tend to have a wide base stance, so they 
position their legs out a little bit wider so they're a little lower to the ground because if you feel dizzy mm -hmm. you want to be closer to the ground if you fall <laughs> mm -hmm. and maybe we've experienced that in the bar as well right um, they may be leaning to one side or falling especially to one side um, and then there's a cerebellar ataxia which usually um cerebellar and vestibular can be kind of blended so you can kind of see all of these things together sometimes because they're really close together um, but um, truly cerebellar ataxia is usually going to look like hypermetric or really exaggerated stepping movements, um, kind of people describe it as like goose stepping or uh, things like that. They just like mm. move their legs very exaggeratedly, if that's a word. Um, it's like, it's they, like they, they, it's those dogs that, um, uh, it's like that threshold thing where they see the threshold instead of just stepping over it, they like mm -hmm. almost like jump over it. They're like, ah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even if you don't feel like you've ever seen it, then just put like a plastic bag on your cat's foot. <laughs> like, Please, okay, that, that is not that is not an endorsement to put plastic bags on your cat's feet. <laughs> or look for a YouTube video. Of there that, you then. go. <laughs> uh, you know that where they're like picking their foot up to try to get the bag off. That yeah. really exaggerated stepping movement is kind of what we're talking about. Um, they can also have intention tremors or swaying. So intention tremors just means that they tremor when they intend to do something. So if you put like a bowl of water in front of them, they'll have kind of a little bit of a head bob before they hit the water because they're trying mm. to get there, but their cerebellum, which makes your movements very fluid, isn't functioning right. So it's not a fluid movement for them. Um, and then just generally, like what I tell my students is like, if you see a dog and you're like, wow, they are walking really awkwardly it's probably cerebellar. <laughs> yeah, you're like, ooh, what is, what is if that? You're, if you're shocked by how awkward they look when they walk, like not, not weak and not lame and not, you know, falling over, they just look weird walking and it's probably some sort of cerebellar thing. That makes sense. Um, so for most neuro cases, usually we'll do just the baseline CBC Chem and UA, um, <laughs> depending on what the problem is, we might add some extra things to that. So we could do things like urine cultures, T4s and TSH. That's about as medicine-y as I get. <laughs> um, no, no, all this stuff looks medicine-y so far. You're fine. <laughs> sometimes we'll do things that bum me out like coags or tags. I don't know why I get really stressed out about doing those <laughs> see okay so Brittany says tag I, and I say BCM <laughs> and I don't thing. have either um depending on what our thoughts are we could do some infectious disease titers and really the titers you pick is going to depend on where you're at and what's kind of most prominent where you're at so like blastomyces is pretty common over here I think less so in like deserty places or well, and this, and that's a really good point is that's why you ask clients about travel history Yeah, because if they've been somewhere in the Midwest for a long time, like just because we don't have it where I am, doesn't mean that pet doesn't have it. So it's a really good idea to make sure, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> any I mean, travel I, history is good. <laughs> me in the, in the Midwest for as long as I've been where I'm at, I, I think I've had one or two patients with like Valley fever too. So like, yeah, yeah it's not here, but it can come from elsewhere, yep. you know? Um, and then some kind of, uh, we'll do sometimes, you know, as it's necessary, some more specific titers like an, uh, acetylcholine antibody titers or um, masticatory muscle antibody titers. And then we'll do G, uh, degenerative myelopathy gen genetic testing sometimes Ooh. too, if, that's, if that seems like it would be useful information. 
Yeah. That's like, honestly, that's probably like the extensive list. If we get really outside of those things, it's, it's fairly unusual. <laughs> I was like, like, it's a unicorn case. <laughs> yeah. At least where I am, we have like every single specialty. So yeah, <laughs> we don't get outside of our thing very often. Um, imaging wise, the gold standard really is MRI. So it's MRI is better for soft tissue structures, which is largely what we're looking at, right? This brain and the spinal cord are made of soft tissue. So that's what we want to have the clearest visualization of. Well, and um, it's important to remember too, it's soft tissue within hard, yeah. hard bone. So like, that's why we can't do x-rays. Yeah. <laughs> you will see <Right>. zero <laughs> of <Yep. laughs> the nervous system with an x-ray. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, doing the MRI can help us identify some structural changes in the central nervous system. If there's edema, if there's a ruptured disc, any of that kind of stuff. So that's why it's usually the most useful thing. We also do CTs um, on occasion. It's usually pretty selective. So if we particularly are worried about bony issues, like um, maybe some osteosarc in the vertebrae or something like that, then um, we can do that. We can absolutely um, do it for certain types of disc ruptures and things like that. But in general, there's less clarity of the soft tissue and especially within the skull itself. You can kind of generally see some stuff, but it's not going to give us the amount of information that the MRI would. Mm-hmm. Um, it is more useful than radiographs, like you said, Yvonne. <laughs> radiographs are not particularly useful for any nervous system thing. Um, if you think it's a fracture, like a spinal fracture, then that can be helpful. Or if you think it's like a vertebral infection, then that can be helpful. But, you know, at least where I am, we hardly ever do spinal x-rays. If we're going to do some sort of imaging, we're going to put that money towards like an MRI or CT, you know? Yep. Um, and then, you know, chest rads just to make sure everybody's healthy. Sometimes we get, you know, like I said, sometimes things come to us that are actually hemoabdomen. So we'll do like (laughs) abdominal rads and then maybe we'll even do some ultrasound. So not very common, but usually for systemic health screening or if there's something we want to try to poke using it for FNA guidance in really fairly rare cases. I've probably done it maybe three or four times in my career using ultrasound, um, doing transfontanel ultrasounds. So when they have an open fontanel for like hydrocephalus cases or really neonate puppies and things, you can put the ultrasound probe on their open skull and see the brain inside. Yeah. I have seen that before and it is creepy. I don't like it. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) no. It's a little weird. Interestingly, my son had one when he was a newborn. Well, not Oh, an open fontanel. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And well, we did an ultra, he had an ultrasound and they don't, even in human medicine, it's not done very frequently. Cause I was like, my husband and I were there, you know, while they're putting an ultrasound probe on my son's head. <laughs> like, oh. And I was like telling my husband, like, so here's what they're looking for. This is what, you know, these are the structures and stuff. And the nurses that were doing it were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like asking me questions about it. I was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. <laughs> Uh, fact. Um, some of the procedural stuff we'll do, probably the biggest one is CSF taps. Um, so, or spinal taps, we'll do those, you know, fairly frequently to look for signs of inflammation. If we get really, really lucky, we might see, um, you know, infectious agents or cancer cells or things like that in the CNS, but mostly it's looking for like inflammatory, um, information. I love that you said, if I get really lucky, I'll see infectious or cancer. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, not lucky for the dog, but lucky, lucky for us diagnostically. Yeah. So we aren't, uh, we aren't trying to guess what's going on. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then we can do muscle or nerve biopsies, um, if we need to, especially for like, uh, neuromuscular type cases, those might be useful. Uh, I think of the neurologist that was at my practice and most of it was seizures, but then he had a lot of Hemi. Well, Mm -hmm. that's probably like 80% of what we do is seizures and Hemi's. (laughs) Right. I was like, I think those are like the things that we saw the most of. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really, it's a, it's a bit rare to convince people to do like brain surgeries and things. Yeah. He did one right before he left, cause he just left for another practice, but, um, he did one and it was so crazy because he'd been there for two years. <laughs> it was the first like brain surgery I saw him do. And it was a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Everybody was yeah. like, what? Yeah. So. I mean, even for us, like it's, we do them, I say somewhat frequently, but even that is like maybe a handful of times a year. And yeah. so every time it's like a big deal. Yeah. Some places might be a little more apt to do like brain biopsies. Um, we don't, we don't particularly do that a lot, but that's another possibility of things that people might do for additional diagnostics. You know, that sounds horribly scary. I don't even want to think about that. <laughs> like, nope, I don't want to biopsy your brain. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if it's going to give you a diagnosis and save you, maybe you should want it. <laughs> I guess. It just seems like that's an important thing you might be cutting out. Yeah, it's just a tiny little piece. Oh, it's she's like, tiny. it's fine. <laughs> little, little, little bitty. Um, and then some specialized testing that we uh, do sometimes is like kind of umbrella term as electrodiagnostics. So this is where we get real crazy with, you know, stimulating different nerves and muscles and things to try to figure out what's going on. So we can do things like what's called an EMG, which is electromyogram. Mm. Um, and what I tell my students, this is, the same thing as an ECG. Oh, it's just not the, the heart. You're <laughs> just checking the electrical activity of the nerve muscles. Muscles. No, the muscles. muscles. My myogram. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So if we stick a needle in a muscle that's not moving, it should be quiet, right? Just like if the heart is not moving it's quiet. (laughs) There is no ECG in an unmoving heart. There should be no uh, activity in an unmoving muscle. And so what can happen sometimes with some diseases is like in a quiet muscle, there's still activity happening. And so we can pick that up on the EMG because that's not normal. Interesting. Um, We can do like nerve conduction velocity or repetitive nerve stimulation. So we're stimulating the nerves to see how fast they go, if they have like abnormal waveforms, um, things Mm -hmm. like that. So that probably looks at like the appropriate responses versus not appropriate responses. Yeah. Um, Some places have capabilities. They can do EEG, so it's electroencephalogram. So this one we um, usually use for really bad seizure um, cases, like those dogs that are you know, on uh, uh, midazolam CRIs and things like that. We're trying to figure out what exactly is going on. So the electroencephalogram is looking for activity in the brain, which there's always activity, but when there's seizures happening, it changes Mm. the waveforms and things like that. So we can identify, you know, where the problem is. 
and, and to see, you know, if this dog is like zonked out on medications, because we did that to try to stop the seizures, are they still having excess electrical activity in their brain or mm. are they not, or, you know, like, is, is the treatment working or not? Yeah. Or is this even a seizure at all? You know, sometimes that can be helpful too. You're like, oh, not the brain. (laughs) (laughs) That might be why that's not working. (laughs) Um, And then some places do bear testing, which is uh, basically like hearing a hearing test for dogs. It's one of my favorite things to do. I like doing it because I get to snuggle some puppies for a second uh, (laughs) to do it. But um, so we can check, um, which they do it in people too, check, um, that the the kind of nervous system part of hearing seems to be functioning and so whether there's a problem with that or not or Mm. what have you so so when you're like is my dog stubborn or does he just not hear me (laughs) we get a fair amount of people usually it's like breeders that are just doing like breeding soundness stuff that we'll get but every now and then we'll get clients that'll be like, you know what, my dog just doesn't listen to me anymore. And I want to know if he can't hear or if he's just being a turd. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, what is wrong with you? Usually (laughs) they're just being a turd. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) (sighs) All right. (sighs) Wow. I feel like I no, no, it's great. And and I love that (laughs) Jordan and I are like, wait, what? (laughs) (sighs) I definitely learned a lot. Yeah, that was cool. And that was just the basics, Jordan. I know. You guys are in for a treat because we're gonna I gotta say, I'm really looking forward to the I'm looking to forward to the Myasthenia Gravis uh episode. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it, I think I I like it because it's so internal medicine and neuro. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Like, I think this all the time at work. I'm like, how do we even function? Cause there's so many things that can go wrong. And I'm just like, how are there so many animals and people walking around functioning? (laughs) because if any of these things go wrong anywhere we'll just fall over and be like I can't get back up you know it's just it's amazing to me it's crazy it's the tip of the week I think the tip of the week is is exactly what um what Brittany said which is just because it's weird doesn't mean it's neuro I I think this is amazing (laughs) keeping it simple (laughs) it's very simple um because I I do agree I think clients go oh my god it must be a seizure and you're like Actually, it's flea allergy dermatitis. <laughs> right. Your dog's right. scratching itself to bejesus and right. it looks like it's having a seizure. Right. Oh, it's it's a really horrible ear infection or you know, yeah. whatever, whatever it happens to be. So just because it's weird doesn't mean it's neuro. I love that. I, I, do. Yeah. I do. I had one time I had a client that brought in a like probably six month old German shepherd puppy because he was having like what she was describing to us as seizures. And she showed me a video because she said the biggest complaint she had is that he jumps in and out of the bathtub. And that's just weird. And I watched the video and it was literally a six month old German shepherd puppy running around being a dummy. <laughs> You're like, yeah, he's a weirdo. Sorry, she was like, there's nothing I, medically wrong with him. We I literally was like, have you ever had a puppy? And she was like, no. And I was like, okay. Oh, <laughs> she wasted her money. Yeah. I mean, it gave her peace of mind. So we were like, it's probably nothing. Yeah, that's, that's fair. <laughs> no, that's amazing. 
And now for the question of the week. All right. So question of the week this week is what neuro disease are you most looking forward to learning about? Because again, Brittany's going to be with us on this neuro journey. Um, and if you guys ask really weeks, good questions, as long as we don't scare her off. Right. We can maybe rope <laughs> her into doing more later. Right, Brittany? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, after this one, I'm running away. <laughs> right. Oh my God. Anyway. I feel like it's so much. Oh, no, it's all right. We go on like <laughs> no, rants this is all like, the time. This about is rain. kind of our. It's, it's great. We learned a lot. Yeah. No, you're yeah, good. This is very, very normal for us, but hit us up on Facebook. Um, you can email us. You can go to internal medicine for You can go in comments at the internal medicine for There's a million ways to find us. Um, Brittany, I think you follow us on Facebook. Uh, yes. So we can find um, each other everywhere. Brittany, um, she's definitely in our Facebook group. So if, if you have questions about neuro stuff, um, I'm sure she's happy to help answer questions. Um, Absolutely. And then, yeah. And uh, by the way, because I don't know if you actually said this at some point, um, Brittany does teach at a university. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I teach my students. I'm like, I don't think you actually mentioned that oh. at any point. Sorry, I do. <laughs> Great. Well, we hope that you guys learned um, some stuff this week with us. <laughs> Jordan and I definitely did. Um, so it was super fun. Thank you, Brittany, for, uh, you know, helping us with this part. Cause I think Jordan and I would have fumbled through it a little bit. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yeah. Super fun. Um, we'll do, so next week we're doing seizures. Is that right guys? Yep. Is that what we're doing? Mm -hmm. That's the plan. Awesome. Cool. Well, we hope you guys are doing well. We will talk to you guys next week. Keep getting your learn on and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs>Thank you for listening to today's episode of the internal medicine for vet techs podcast if you like what you heard we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode want to give us a boost please leave a review on itunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com talk to you next week bye